creative collisions with Second Home. Hello and welcome to Creative Collisions, a new podcast from Second Home, a social business dedicated to promoting creativity and entrepreneurship in cities around the world. Hey there, I'm Magdalena Morty and I curate the cultural programme here at Second Home. This episode celebrates the exciting liberation of diversity and representation in the casting and storytelling of British drama. Channel 5's new three-part historical thriller Anne Boleyn stars a rising black British actor Jodie Turner-Smith as a notorious second wife of Henry VIII. This series tells an important story of strength and feminism through the Queen's challenge to the powerful patriarchy closing in around her in her last final months before the infamous beheading. We are joined by the BAFTA-nominated producer Faye Ward of Fable Pictures and the award-winning casting director Carmel Cochran of this groundbreaking female-led production. They are in conversation with Olivette Otelli, Professor of History of Slavery at Bristol University. I hope you enjoy. I think I should introduce our distinguished guest. So let's start with Faye. Um, Faye founded Fable Pictures to tell female-driven stories with a distinctive eye. 2019 saw the international release of Stan and Holly, not Holly, but Holly, which was nominated for three BAFTAs, Golden Globe and Wild Rose. Fable's latest film, Rocks, the third in Faye's long-running collaboration with director Sarah Gavron, was released in 2020 to a critical acclaim winning two BAFTAs, five BIFAs, including Best Film. Anne Berlin is Fable's first TV series, with a stellar cast led by Jodie Turner-Smith. The Sony and Channel 5 drama will be broadcast on the 1st of June, next Tuesday. And Faye's previous producing credits include The Crown Series 1, Suffragette, and Golden Globe-nominated series Dancing on the Edge. Very impressive. Thank you. Carmel? first got her past teeth as a casting director on the acclaimed Daniel Wolf music video Time to Dance, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Callum Turner. She followed up with award-winning films such as Lilting 2014 and the BAFTA award-winning Home 2016. Over the past 11 years, she has earned a reputation for championing new and diverse talent in projects like The Witch, The End of the F. The effing world and the lighthouse firmly cement her position as one of the most exciting British casting directors working today. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us, both of you. And um, I would like to, well, I would like to finish again with um, um, Carmel's latest, which is um, a production that includes St. Maud, which has been released to wide acclaim, and Mothering Sunday, and of course, Anne Berlin. So, shall we delve into the matter at hand? and start that conversation. I have so many questions for you. Um, I, I wrote a, a, a small piece for The Independent and I just wanted to, and in that piece, I, I talk about a few things, but let's delve into the matter of hand, which is why Jodie Turner-Smith? Um, well, to sort of rewind a tiny bit, you know, just as you mentioned, so Fable Pictures is, is our company and um, that I, me and myself and my partner, Hannah Farrell, have. And we love to champion stories 
that about underdogs, about working class people particularly. We like to find stories that have a very female lens to them. Mm-hmm. And we were approached about making a, something about Anne Boleyn. And I think what excited us the most was the idea that the story of Anne Boleyn is a story you think you know. It's one of those sort of quite patriarchal, traditional stories that you sort of imbibe in some way, you know, in this sort of everyone learns about it at school. And it's a, it's a specific perspective of history that we're taught. And actually, if you try, if you think about rewinding on what you think you know and what you should know, is that what we wanted to do is tell the story from Anne's perspective. The idea that this show is about Anne's story in that moment and that she was married to a psychopath. She um, wasn't married to him very long. He murdered her. And put it in the context of that channel rather than and completely see it through her eyes only. And in our show, you never see any scene without her perspective. Um, I know traditionally in Tudor stories, you know, they're always surrounded by who's going to be the heir. Is there a miscarriage? Is there a stillbirth? And actually, you never leave, you always leave the woman in that moment. And it's normally told through the story of the messenger boy telling Henry or telling Cromwell or telling whomever the importance of this baby existence. And actually, what we wanted to do in that moment was stay with the woman, stay with her, how it felt to be her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the, so to go back to the reason why to, uh, to cast Jodie is we wanted to tell the story from Anne's perspective and for you to reset your expectations of your own sort of baggage you bring to Anne Boleyn. What's about the diversity element here? Is it, was it, did it play a, a crucial role in there or do you, did you think that, you know, actually we're going to go on about this differently? I thought that we would approach it from you know a modern contemporary angle so for me it was you know what actress out there embodies all of those characteristics the regality the power the strength you know and just watching her in something called queen and slim she is a queen and i very much stand by that and so you know in in terms of the diversity it was something that we were obviously aware of but i definitely didn't think it was going to be you know, it's just moving forward. It's progressive. It's something new and wonderful. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I can see how you made it work, both of you, because your answers are complementing each other. It's the feminist side. It's the female power. It's the placing women at the core. It's also about reflecting contemporary uh, outlook and what, what it is today, because we're looking back as people yeah. of, of today. Uh, and as Carmel says, you know, Jodie... Um is not only an absolutely phenomenal actor, but what we were all intrigued about, you know, when you start, when when you're casting specific roles in things, you know, not only do you have a conversation about who, how great of an actor they are and do they suit the role, but don't don't we, Carmel, we tend to have a conversation also about will they like the role? Is it something you think that will they be attracted to? You know, you have that thing because you want to lure them in as they want to lure you in in some respects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'd read that amazing Vogue article that Jodie had written at the beginning of uh, the corona pandemic about Mm -hmm. childbirth 
in a pandemic, but also about systematic racism in in the uh, medical world in America. And she was so eloquent, you know, it felt like she, it, so it felt like when we sent her the material, it felt like she sort of embodied lots of attributes of Anne Boleyn and that the, the, mm-hmm. the kind of brainstorm of the kind of thing we wanted our story to tell. She was sort of already kind of igniting in that as well. So it's her as an actor, as well as her as a, a whole human. And yeah. just the status of having someone of her caliber yeah no it's wonderful um yeah I have a question about you know the kind of the character of Anne itself were you inspired by paintings or anything because the imagery is is, is stunning as well the, the colors the uh the photos everything so did you did you have things in mind when you were doing it both of you yeah, I mean, um, from, I know, speaking from, um, and, and just to also say, uh, Eva, writer, it was her clever idea. Mm. Again, you, you, when you're telling a story about something, it's for always a little, you need to find the way into the story. And her clever idea was, let's tell the last five months of her life. So you have that countdown. We all know she died. And then within that, then working backwards, the one thing we wanted to do is, uh, and this came from Lindsay, our director, didn't it, Carmel? The idea that she wanted you to really understand and live as an audience in the environment of what it must have been like to be Tudor. The idea of that sort of macabre, uh, medieval life and death, um, uh, and w- that's why you, you see when when everyone gets to watch it, you'll see there's sort of quite these sort of macabre messages through dead skulls and rats and weasels. And she wanted that you to really feel like the humanity within the Tudor world. You know, sometimes I feel like, and in a great way, by the way, period drama can feel very staid and the costumes wear the actors and then it's all about that. But actually what Lindsay and Eve and everybody wanted to create was the idea that you could feel that world a little bit more and that you could breathe it and that what Anne Boleyn you were sort of in her head, breathing and feeling the wet walls and and that light. Um, and, and 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 you're right. There wasn't a specific picture that was that we drew upon as an inspiration, but you can sort of see from those Holbein pictures anyway. It's got got a mood mood like quality to it. Absolutely, Armel. Yeah, I think that for me, less so on the pictures and the visual because that was definitely something that came afterwards. It all kind of lives in my head for a while. But um, Lindsay was so good at being clear. I mean, everyone was. It really was a collaborative um, effort. Mm. And so there'd always be these bits of information coming through that would really help. And Lindsay would give me references and Mm. uh, music, just things just that really propelled everything forward. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, there was something that was intrigued up. You talked about, you know, period drama. And um, for me, that was a period drama. And then I, I suddenly realized that you you kind of called it a, a psychological thriller. Why? Um, because we wanted to tell a story that lived within a, a head of a woman who was powerful, who was vulnerable, who lived in this very isolated patriarch world and that actually, you know, the the system around her 
the more powerful she got, the more system around her wanted to close her down and eventually did, you know, in the most awful way. And, you know, to put it really starkly, Henry got engaged 24 hours later, married 11 days later after, after Anne died. And um, for the history buffs around, you know, they've been having a love affair seven years before they were even married. So it's pretty stark stuff. But how did you actually go on about constructing this, these moments of absolute tension? I think the scripts were so page turning. I remember reading them and, you know, you just whizzed through them because it was so, so gripping. And I think that goes back to the psychological thriller element of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think everyone that read it, the actors that read it, everyone loved it. Yeah, uh, Eve, Eve is a really incredible writer. Her name's Eve Hedwig Turner, and she's just she's just amazing. And I think, I think because also you think you always know the story of Anne, and the moment you start to get in Eve's head, whether you're reading it at that point or watching it, you start to it sort of starts to reset how you think about things and how you think you're taught things and maybe that other stories are told in a certain way. And I think that's the thing that that gives it that psychological pace as well, as well as you knowing there's a countdown to her death. Yeah, absolutely. I have a question for both of you, which is, um, we talked a lot about the uh, the industry, the film industry not being diverse and, and so on and so forth. And this is this is not my area of expertise, but I was wondering if, you know, you as professionals, you had advice for people, for young people from diverse background who want to direct a movie or work in casting or work as casting director. Is there something, first of all, the advice you could give them, but also if you as, you know, experts and people who have lots of experience, you actually learn something different and what would, would that be? Um, in terms of any kind of up and in uh, aspiring casting directors, the NFTS have just launched a course um, that Shaheen Beg and Gina Jay have been behind um, to try and make it accessible, to try and show everyone that it is a job we exist, because I think so often we're hidden and you don't really know how it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really good in, in, in opening it up to people, you know, from, from other paths. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, I think we industry is doing better about diversity on camera, but I think we've still got quite a big problem with diversity off camera and with um, uh, diversity in people of power. In truth, you know, yeah. we really do, and it's something we're all striving to transform and change and but there's a hell of a lot of work more to do and I I would say you know like and what Carmel was saying I think actually a lot of people um don't actually really think the television and film industry is relevant to them at times and also that I'm not sure that everyone's very got clear why why would they about all the amazing different roles you can play within the world of um, film and television you know I feel like writers and directors and actors are sort of the most obvious ones and that's what everyone aspires to but actually there's a there's like 150 if not you know 500 other roles that people can um make, make very very good careers of and I think that's one thing that I think we need to try and work really hard. And we've talked many times, Working Title have opened um, 
uh, a school for crew uh, alongside the National Film School. Um, and I think we're all going to try and do a lot more work within schools just to make people aware. Yeah. You know, there's an amazing there's an amazing role called a script supervisor, which is an absolute amazing job for people who absolutely love stationery, who are incredibly particular humans, who like to be sort of get yourself really dirty and in the middle at the same time, not feeling like they want to have the whole production on their shoulders, you know. And even if you're in catering, right, there's like amazing jobs to be. You can travel the world and do cater. There's just like so many different jobs that I'm not in the film and television industry that I'm not sure actually people are that aware of that I think needs to be changed as well as the leading jobs as well. Yeah, I saw how much a rigger gets paid the other day and thought, oh, I should retrain. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this is this is fantastic because it's giving people, uh, you know, some hope opportunities. And this is what these conversations are about. So in terms of what you learn, what you, you, you know, something special that you could draw from from this experience and, and the, the, the doing the making of this series, what would you say, Faye, that the one thing or maybe two or three bits. Uh, well, yeah, I've probably got more than, more than one, but I would say back to what um, Carmel was was talking, that, that it was an absolutely true collaboration, this production. And don't get it wrong, not that's not always the case, and sometimes it is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it really felt like Carmel and I have worked closely before, and, and in fact, Lindsay and Hannah, and all of us as a team, a collection of the of the 10 that started the process and then continued on. And it and I felt like also we came off, we have to be clear that we came off at the back of a start of a pandemic, really. Mm. You know, we started shooting in November. And as you know, the pandemic, uh, you know, appeared in our very vision in March. And at that point, nobody really by September had worked in the film and television, had had they come out. So we were sort of walking into the unknown of pandemicness as well. And I think that also gave a special quality to everybody's input on the material because people hadn't seen each other for a long time. And I think people were very nervous that work wasn't going to exist at that point. Mm. And... um, and I felt like actually a great thing to all of us to move up to Yorkshire together, to, to be together for a long time in a very cold castle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we, we, have, we, we have a few more minutes before I start looking at the questions. Another question that I did have was to do with how do you work with um, this idea that the story is known the script, everything is set, but there are always the unpredictable. So in other words, during in the course of the work, are there bits that you were kind of added last minute or were forced to remove that we will never see? <laughs> or are there bits that you consider that after watching, you know, by going through the editing process, this really doesn't fit? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's the whole process of film and television. You know, you sort of, you have to retell the story again in the edit in a way that you didn't know. But what's amazing about that process is the as the train chugs, as we call the train, it evolves and evolves. And Carmel, I don't we've talked about it a few times, but, you know, there might be roles that you've cast where the role felt, um, what's the word, you know, that it wasn't going to be that um, in focus particularly. But then actually as the edit evolves and as you watch these actors bring these people to life, Mm -hmm. it completely transforms 
how they're portraying them, right? And their importance in that story. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes their performances elevate, you know, what, what's written and, and vice versa. And you can get some real surprises, good and bad. <laughs> Yeah, you can also do it, 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 you know, literally, you know, when you're when you're filming, you're all looking at a, a tiny monitor mm. and you're normally focusing on what's the scene about? Is it working? Have we got what we need out of that, out of the lead person? And of mm. course, you always want to be looking around it too. But I'm really, that's really what you're focusing on. So when you get in the edit, you're able to sit back also and see these incredible performances from other people. And I've always really enjoyed that experience. It feels like... You know, people bring so much to the table when it comes to film and television process. Brilliant. Thank you. We have quite a few questions. So questions, I'm, I'm looking at my, my phone because some questions are coming through, but I'm thinking I'm going to concentrate a bit more with the Q&A and the chat. Something's going on here. Uh, let's just see um, a few questions here. When it comes to diversity, there's an argument to be made. Um, this is coming from Maria Kibig. Um, an argument to be made made for telling different stories rather than displacing historically white characters, but maintaining the same historical narrative. How do you respond to this? Who wants to answer this one? I think the, I, the answer is, I think, is, is there room for, for millions of stories in truth? And I feel like, uh, and at Fable Pictures, we develop lots of stories. And Anne Boleyn in this moment was the story we were, we were able to tell i.e. commissioners were given us the money to tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we took that decision to tell this story. But of course, there's rooms to tell lots of stories. Absolutely. Another question. Now you've got this first TV production under your belt. How has this influenced what TV projects you are looking to do in the future? Or both of you, actually. That's a good question, isn't it? Carmel? I think I started... I mean, we had such a quick and tight turnaround on Anne Boleyn that I didn't really stop and pause and think about my career and my CV. It was just a really great job to be part of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sent it set the benchmark really high. So now I'm just hoping that everything that follows is 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 as wonderful. <laughs> and Faye, what would you say? Um, well, again, Fable, what you do is you sort of develop many things at different places and, and you, you wait for the commissioner gods to say when they want something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also just to add, by the way, that we this TV show is, is developed as a trilogy. So series two will be the story of Kitty Howard, mm-hmm. um, another of Henry's wife that becomes mm-hmm. beheaded, gets beheaded. And our third in the trilogy is about Mary Tudor, who is Henry's mm-hmm. um, daughter. And in fact, the first British female uh, ruler. Oh, exciting. So much coming up. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, a question from Sasha D'Souza Wilcott. Did Jodie bring anything unexpected to the character? Reconfigure your understanding of Berlin. What stood out specifically in her audition? Well, she didn't audition. So, um, yeah, we didn't have that process. I just remember when I went up to um, Leeds for the, for the set visit the day that I saw you in the castle fate and just watching her come out fully kitted out and I, you know, she makes you stop in your tracks. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, you know, that's a wonderful woman. Yeah. I mean, Jodie's absolutely extraordinary. She's like, not only, 
you know, she knew about, she knows about Anne Boleyn. She held that character. And in turn, you know, all the other actors who are also equally brilliant. I'd hate not to mention them, but she, she's really brilliant at, at turning up on set and doing the act a bit, which is really, really, really difficult and hard. And being in the moment, very intimate moments, by the way, you know, there's moments where, you know, she's going through a stillbirth, the sexual moments in there, you know, I think she'd be okay with me saying, you know, there's, a, we talked a lot about motherhood um, in the development process and there's a bit post stillbirth where we talked a lot about the idea of, you know, your milk still being around and the baby not being there and how you felt about that. And Jodie was breastfeeding her own daughter at the time and used her own breast milk to help that process work and that. So she brought millions to the table and very intimate parts of herself. But also, you know, when you're making, especially a production like this in the middle of pandemic and like you mentioned, Oliver, about, you know, possibly changes and compromises because of locations and weather, mm. you know, what she was brilliant. And as my job, you know, unfortunately what I have to do is so I change the script sometimes to make that work and change that. And, you know, you've got this whole like puzzle you do. And she mm. was so amazing. She go, I totally get that. That's the great, that's a great cut. But remember you missed that line from that other scene and we need to keep that line because of that. And she's just so sharp, smart. She knows that character inside out and, um, was really brilliant at bringing the themes of legacy politics and everything to the piece. Excellent. I have so many questions. So I'm going to go to the ones on my, uh, on my phone now. It says, for Faye, how do you decide what story to tell? And if you're not looking for them, how do they land in your lap? Uh, they come a million different ways in truth. They sometimes come from an actor. Uh, if we've been talking to them about ideas and they come up with an idea, they sometimes come from a writer or a director. Mm. I think that thing that gets us going is the idea the what where, where when we sort of pluck them or when we when they feel like they they've got a momentum is you know that if that the thing at fable we'd like to tell stories that are fundamentally entertaining but that feel like they've got a bit of a fire under their belly you know they're gonna create a create conversation they're gonna maybe make you think about things in a certain way mm. um and or and or feel like you maybe not seen something before and this is going to be new to you mm. and I think certainly whenever you call me Faye and say that you've got a job I, I very you know I always instinctively think it's going to be amazing so even when you pitched Anne Boleyn I hadn't read a script and I was like yeah I'm I'm in <laughs> it's brilliant isn't it it's the trust um i have a question here um do you think we'll get julia hartley do you think you'll get to a point where there is more period drama than looks that looks at the um at history from a non-european perspective as a writer i notice more and more productions are going for colorblind casting but at the story level the focus seems to remain on european historical figures I think that, you know, I'm working on an adaptation um, of something at the moment that is a period piece, but told, it's written by a black writer and told from her perspective. Mm. It's, and what's interesting in the casting process, finding the black actress has been wonderful, but finding other actors of a certain caliber to sit alongside 
and not be the lead has been challenging because everyone's and, and we had that with with our Henry. So I think that everything's evolving and everything's changing. And we just need to get as many different stories as as many different writers, directors and people to tell their versions and their truths. And then casting will reflect that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Okay, so another question. Uh, if you are not represented by an agent, how can you connect with production companies such as yourselves and submit scripts? As this is also a difficult bottleneck issue in the industry, first part. Are there any internships or different initiatives that help bridge this gap between grassroots talent and production companies? Um, to answer your first question, I think you're right. It, is a, it definitely is a very it's a difficulty because... Um, production companies don't tend to read a lot of scripts that come unsolicited and agents don't do too. Mm. Um, but I would still keep submitting because there are moments where people do read. Uh, normally in regards to production company, it's normally to do with capacity. Yeah. You know, uh, you can get sent 50 scripts a week and that's just for the people you, you know, you've asked them to send your script to, mind others. Um, but what I will say is in regards to sort of breaking through to the system, the one thing I would say is to join as many of those um, uh, Zoom things like this and meet uh, colleagues and contemporaries of in, your, in your same world. Because I think also, you know, meeting other aspiring directors and writers at festivals, of course, when we can all be in rooms together, but festivals and events, I think really, really help. Because also if you're able to be part of um, audiences in those rooms, you get to meet and start to collaborate with people exactly like you. And then in turn, you know, you, you, everyone sort of finds, finds their momentum. Very good. Um, another question from Kwo. Really excited to watch this series. I'm curious to find out if Anne Berlin being black is discussing the show, as I think it would add interesting subtleties to the story of Anne Berlin. If race is not discussed explicitly, why was this decision taken? Do you think that this is enough to employ colorblind casting rather than engaging with the difficulties of being black in Britain in the story? I think you kind of tackled this question at the beginning when you explained the reasons why um, you, you decided to do this that way. Contemporary uh, outlook on um, the story of Anne Berlin, but also the idea of telling a strong, the, the, the story of a, a strong woman. And I think that the, the colorblind casting is, is, is not the kind of terminology that we've been using. We've been discussing identity conscious casting whereby with all of our cast, we were aware of their racial identity. It's not something that we're that we're ignoring, but we chose actors based on their qualities and their strengths and, and things that really appealed to us that matched the character and things that they could bring to, to elevate character and um, make our show as wonderful as it is. Okay, so I'm going to push you a bit more with the next question, which is related to, to this one. It, the question is, I think a black body carries its own histories and experiences, so different from a white one. So how do you deal with this? Did you try to deal with it in a way, in the way a show like Bridgerton try, or in some other way? I think we do deal with it. I think uh, it's definitely subtle. 
comparatively to Bridget. I mean, they're very, very different tonally pieces, aren't they? Oliver, you'll know that yes, from, from watching that they're, they're very different. And I think we just go back to, you know, well, there was a conscious and there was, what we did consciously do is definitely keep casting, keep Henry as white. You know, the people around her were the patriarch. You know, they're the ones with the stories you normally tell. And I think we, it was definitely a very conscious decision to keep mm. um, those puppeteers around her to be white men. Mm. You will see, it will all be revealed soon, next, next week. Another question, could you please let us know how you prepare the show on a historical point of view? On which sources did you base your work? Uh, well, we read uh, millions of sources in truth. Um, uh, and, and, and attached to the project, we have an exec producer called Dan Jones, who's also his, an historian. And mm -hmm. he was our litmus paper for any of our... Um, wanton liberties to be taken at different points you know he he it was quite interesting talking to him about it because he was the one also he said you know in the last five or six years it might have been a bit longer but you know it was history always suggested that you know it was Cromwell who was the puppeteer and actually Henry had a certain innocence to him Olivet knows obviously all millions more than I do about all this, but um, no, no, but I love the interpretation and the <laughs> sorry, representation. Yeah, my GCSE version, by the way. And, <laughs> um, and uh, Dan was explaining to us that you know the warrant card has been unearthed that were completely Henry's orders, and that was unearthed only in the last ten years or so um, into the ether. And I think we, all those small little details like that sort of spared us on to be telling our version of how we want to tell the story yes and you can see how it transpired in the in the series that it's it's fabulous okay so the question how can an aspiring actor get her foot in the door at fable oh, over to carmel on that one <laughs> um, there's, there's so much we i'm very aware in my day-to-day -day that the industry is kind of leveled well no not leveled out the industry is set up for people who have certain um resources and so we constantly try and look for other places to find people so you'll see instagram posts where we look for things you know look for people to play roles and lead roles as well i just throw it out everywhere and then we you know see what we get back um we do open calls, theatre groups, local schools, just constantly, that's my day-to-day, -day, constantly looking for new places that we can find people. And then once we find them, we take them, and that's where Faye then gets to see them. We do the same, obviously, in conjunction with Carmel a lot of the time, but also um, on our last movie, Rocks, uh, we found lots of young new actors um who who i think they would be very open to suggest that they never thought they would they could be or would be actors at mm -hmm. the time um because they didn't think it was accessible to them and we um we miraculously found them and brought this beautiful alchemy of amazing collaborative incredibly clever young women together um, and that was a really interesting, great, very long experience. Um, and we're really excited. And Bookie ended up winning the BAFTA this year for Best Newcomer. And, you know, we're absolutely thrilled to see 
her career and co-stars and I mean everybody's involved on that show and see how they evolve. Excellent. Um, speaking of places and different locations, so Caroline Nicholl, welcome to Yorkshire. What was it like filming in Yorkshire and will the following films in the trilogy be filmed in the country? Um, I loved filming in Yorkshire. I filmed in Yorkshire a few times and in fact we're going back with a little comedy we've got in the summer which Carmel and I are doing together as with the rest of the Fable team. Um, mm -hmm. And it was cold, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> it was very cold in this very cold castle and there was quite a lot of snow. Um, but it was really brilliant and it gave us our sort of epic quality and Kitty and Mary, who knows where we'll be shooting them, but it will probably definitely be up north, I imagine. Okay. Um, so Sahar Shaker question is, where were you disappointed by any reviews, critiques that just didn't get it or reject your perspective on representation? Well, we haven't actually had any reviews yet or um, critics saying anything. I think what I will say is I do find it very irritating that majority of the critics, I say majority, in the main newspapers are um, white and male. Definitely is um, a difficult hurdle to jump. Um, but I would, I'm, I'm very interested in to see what people think about the material. Yes, ultimately, you know, there's a critique, but there's us watching it. Yeah. We we're, we're really extremely proud of it. And I hope the people who really, really love it are the right audience for the material anyway. And hopefully that we're the people, we're speaking to the people who love the material. And I think that that, you know, hopefully speak for both of us. That's why we do what we do to get conversations started. There have been versions of Anne Boleyn before. Mm. So the next question is more or less what you're, you've talked about, but I, I still want to, you know, give it to you. It's Dennis Dolgan, who's saying, is diversity of thought and perspective within marginalised and minority groups taking into consideration or just taking, making it simply diverse because it can come across as just ticking a box? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly the opposite of what Carmela and, and and all of our team would ever want to achieve that's that's by far it's the opposite spectrum um mm. for all the things we've discussed tonight you know um we want stories to be told that feel modern and feel reflective of the society we live in and that feel challenged of the past to the present and that conversations can keep evolving and, and moving on yeah Carl, there's somebody who's saying, could Carmel please clarify the point about the difficulty finding someone to sit alongside a Black actress in a lead role? Also, how does a non-named Black actress get into your radar? Um, I'll, I'll start with that bit. Um, we, we're just constantly looking all the time. So the, the actress that we've cast in this period um, show is, is not a household name. We auditioned probably over 150 actresses and she was the best one. Um, it's been difficult to find a leading actor that has certain, you know, we're, we're always under pressure by the channels to come up with a household name. It's a very, very busy time. Lots of shows are being made. And if you're not the lead, it's not necessarily something that you're going to jump into. Mm. 
Okay, so the next question is also, how does a non-named Black actress got, get onto your radar? Uh, just the same thing. We, we audition, we, we look and search everywhere. Um, and I, that's definitely a big priority for me is in, in things that I cast is not offering up the people that we always see on TV. Yeah. And I mean, one, one advice for any actors that are, listen, that are watching and listening would be to follow all the casting directors on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them will um, publish auditions happening open castings happening mm-hmm. um specifics of whom they're looking for for what roles um i would i would stalk them down on those <laughs> twitter always, and instagrams i always say to anyone that can, that that asks you know have an have a sense of project shows that you like to watch have a look at who the casting director is roles that you'd like to to be mm. like that who yes. the people are that are casting it and then target them um yeah and that's interesting sorry go on no there's absolutely nothing wrong I hear a lot of people saying oh well I've been told that I shouldn't email well you have to you have to knock down the door yeah I was just going to say to also be prepared isn't it Carmel in that way that sometimes um obviously sometimes you get direction and sometimes you get pages to do an audition but sometimes they just want you to be you and maybe to have something in your mind like a, a someone a, a poem or a monologue that you've read by somebody that you really love a chapter from a book anything up your sleeve that you've you've got and you know so if someone asks you to to do perform that you've already got that very prepared yeah well maybe one last question would you take on good faith criticism even if it's about the casting or would be selective on who you would listen to? No, I would, I would take it. That's part of my, that's part of my job. As we said, we keep the conversations going and we hope to learn and evolve. Completely, completely. Okay. There was another question. I think we're going to wrap up now, but there was another question. I think that you, you, I'm just going to read it, but I think you more or less answer it. You mentioned it being difficult to find actors from other backgrounds to place alongside the lead and was wondering what you think the reason for this, but you explain, I think. And it is a lack of, is it a lack of opportunity given to other people of color or the absence of them within agency? Is there anything being done to tackle this? So I think the the, the second part of the question might be about who's in charge, you know, within the agency. What would you say about this? I think, I think that's a misunderstanding of my original comment, but I think that there are lots of really good diverse actors and I think we've got a lot of access to them now. It's really, really come on in the past four or five years. Um, it's more, my, my original comment was more having, having someone of a particular, like not a minority um, to sit alongside that's, that's been difficult. Yes, I, I I think you know these conversations are really important because as you show, there's what there's the, the perceptions there, the people's experience who are, you know, try striving to find roles and jobs and 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 get in, and there are those like yourselves who are already in place who are facing all sorts of things, trying to get people in, but also trying to answer to the pressure and the demands of, um, you know, the, the big money who want who know what they want to put in. Um, yeah, I, I suppose you're called constantly, but well done. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, thank you ever so much for all these questions. I'm sorry if I didn't get a chance to answer or to present all the questions, but I think it was, it was fabulous, really interesting. 
This episode was brought to you by Second Home as part of our Creative Collisions podcast. Subscribe to keep up to date with upcoming episodes and head to secondhome.io forward slash culture to see what events we have coming up.